Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Approximately a dozen people reported seeing a small, disc-shaped metallic object hovering out over gate C-17 at O'Hare International Airport in my hometown of Chicago. According to these witnesses, after several minutes, the object bolted upward through the cloud cover so powerfully that it left behind an eerie hole in the clouds. The Federal Aviation Administration investigated their reports and dismissed them, saying that they checked the radar and found no unusual activity and that the low cloud ceiling that day made it likely that it was simply a weather phenomenon that the people had witnessed. While some of those witnesses were angry that no one believed them, one air traffic controller at O'Hare that day found levity in the situation. He was quoted in the paper saying, to fly seven million light years to O'Hare and then have to turn around because your gate is occupied? That's simply unacceptable. (laughs) Now, this is a captivating story all on its own, but in light of today's scripture reading from John, it takes on a more profound meaning for me. Because when you think about it, the risen Christ is kind of like a UFO. There's a lot of mystery surrounding aliens and UFOs. Some people claim to have seen them, Others are skeptical of those who make such claims. And for many of us, if you ask us if we believe in aliens or UFOs, we tell you that we have to see it to believe it. After all, hearing a second-hand account is never quite like seeing something for yourself, is it? That's the theme at the heart of this reading from the Gospel this morning, seeing and believing. In the verses leading up to our reading today, Mary Magdalene is sitting outside the empty tomb in tears because she thinks that someone has stolen Jesus' body. Then the risen Jesus approaches her and asks, Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thinks he's the gardener. And so she responds, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And then Jesus calls Mary by name. And this time when she looks up, suddenly she recognizes him. She couldn't believe his presence. She couldn't believe he was really there until she experienced it firsthand. Then Mary hurries off to tell the other disciples what she's seen, but it appears that the other disciples who are locked away in hiding Don't believe Mary at first, not until they see for themselves later that day when Jesus shows up and shows them the proof in his hands and his side. And then, of course, there's Thomas, who famously doubts. But today is a Thomas day, because today I hope to redeem Thomas a bit in our eyes. Because doubting and seeking sensory evidence that confirms our belief are just about some of the most basic human behaviors I can think of. 
And more than that, Thomas isn't alone in his doubting. Almost as if the risen Christ was a UFO, all the disciples seem to doubt the resurrection until they see it for themselves. Now, if you sat down and read the Gospel of John cover to cover in one sitting, you wouldn't be surprised at this ending. You'd immediately recognize that this is sort of the cherry on top of a recurring theme of seeing and believing in John's Gospel. There are lots of verses about how firsthand experiences of seeing and hearing Jesus lead to faith. Take, for example, the story in chapter 9 about a blind man who Jesus heals. Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud and rubs it on the man's eyes and then instructs him to go to a nearby pool and wash it from his eyes. When the man returns, Jesus has vanished, but he can see. The gospel says that sometime later, Jesus returned and seeks out this man again. And when he finds him, he asks, do you believe in the human one? The formerly blind man responds, who is he, sir? The irony, of course, is that this man has never seen Jesus before in his life. And so Jesus says, you have seen him. You're looking at him. And then the man responds, Lord, I believe. To really understand the purpose of this resurrection story and why it was written the way that it was, we need to know something about the Johannine community. That is, the community that formed around John's interpretation of the gospel. There's considerable disagreement among biblical scholars about exactly when John's gospel was written, but there's consensus that it was around the end of the first century, perhaps between 90 and 100 CE. But the exact date isn't as important as understanding that this gospel was written in the context of a community that was at least two or even three generations removed from the living, breathing Jesus. There were almost certainly those in or around the Johannine community who, like Thomas, demanded to see proof. People wanted evidence, visual confirmation of the risen Christ, evidence they could see and touch. And honestly, who could blame them? The resurrection is an incredible story in the sense that it is a very difficult one to believe. And these people living, say, 60 or 70 years after Jesus just wanted the same thing that the first disciples had received. They wanted to experience the risen Christ in a tangible, sensory way. The bottom line is that for a community who had never laid eyes on Jesus, most of them, this story was intended to inspire them to faith in a Christ that they would never see with their own eyes. Now, if those in John's community were two or three generations removed from Jesus, then you and I are more like 80 to 100 generations away. Speaking for myself, I have never seen or experienced the risen Christ in any way that resembles his appearance to the disciples. And we don't have the benefit of a second-hand experience either. Some in John's community 
would have certainly spoken with someone who was alive and who had met Jesus in the flesh. You and I will never sit down over a meal with somebody who actually walked and talked with Jesus and who can tell us what he was like in person. But all this distance of time doesn't make us any less curious to see and to touch the experience of Easter. We long to see the risen Christ in a real way. And so we read the Gospels. We gather at this communion table. We pray for Jesus to reveal himself to us. After all, we humans are sensory seekers. And so we seek out tangible signs of Christ in the midst of our lives here and now. Does that mean that we, like Thomas, are doubters? Well, the 20th century Christian theologian Paul Tillich said that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an element of faith. But I actually prefer the more modern paraphrase of Tillich's words printed on the cover of your bulletin by Christian author Anne Lamott who said, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Listen to that again. It's a little counterintuitive. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. In his appearance to the disciples, Jesus explicitly blesses those who believe without seeing but I'd argue that he also implicitly blesses those who need to see in order to believe. Those who seek to find belief even in the midst of their doubts. When Thomas says that he needs proof, Jesus shows up again. He provides Thomas with what he needs to have faith. So go ahead and call Thomas a doubter. For that matter, call me a doubter too. Because I'm with Tillich and Lamott, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Doubt is a part of our faith. Doubt is inherent in, intertwined with, and inseparable from our faith. Holding on to our belief in the midst of our doubt, in the absence of that sensory evidence, that is faith. Ironically, in my opinion, it's those who are certain that they're right who lack faith. They mistake their beliefs for facts and they lose their need for faith by deflecting doubt. The reality is that we will never have all the facts. We can't compile the hard evidence to prove the miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. But perhaps the true miracle is that faith can overcome doubt. Perhaps the miracle is that we can believe without physical evidence. Perhaps the miracle is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have faith in the risen Christ who we cannot see. Because faith requires us to stretch ourselves way beyond what we can see. And it all begins with a simple invitation. Near the very beginning of John's Gospel, Two disciples of John the Baptist meet Jesus for the first time and ask him where he's staying. Jesus replies, come and see. This is Jesus' first 
call to his disciples in the gospel. And it could easily serve as a simple three-word summary of the entire gospel. Come and see. Indeed, it's also the last invitation that Jesus makes to his disciples in the passage that we heard this morning. The come and see that he lives again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And blessed also are those who have doubts and struggle to believe. Faith isn't something that we ever accomplish. It's a process, one with ups and downs. It's a journey with strides and stumbles. And faith is also a conscious commitment that we make, one we renew over and over again. Easter is a good season to renew that commitment, not to shove down our doubts and ignore them, but like Thomas, to engage our doubts, to seek to experience God's presence in a real way that can pull us towards faith even in the midst of our doubt. This Easter season, Jesus invites us to come and see as we inch our way towards faith. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.